Welcome back to Documentary First. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, go listen to last week's. Um, we're not even going to do intros or anything like that. You already know who's here because you've already listened to last week's. You're back. Um, and well, we're just going to roll right into it. We're going to say who's here. It no, is Joe no. Amaday. This is part two. <laughs> Joe Amaday is a distributor. He's an amazing guy. He's the guy that doesn't have a suit. Well, I don't think that's the way they said it. <laughs> He's not, not a, a suit. suit. He's not a suit. That's it. <laughs> he has <laughs> clothes. <laughs> Never there is a closet behind life. me somewhere. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so Joe's here. We were talking about Cannes last week. Uh, we also talked about, you know, the difference between film festivals and film markets. Uh, Joe gave us some sage advice about, um, you know, if you're a filmmaker in the business, you really better know the business. He told us the trades to watch or read, actually. Um, so, Joe, where we had sort of gotten to was the next thing I wanted to talk about which was what you learned at Cannes at the film market. Um, you know, last week we talked about what Cannes looked like and the difference between the film festival and the film market. So let's dive in a little deeper. You went okay. there, you had 33 meetings, you uh, pitched some of your films, you heard some pitches. Um, talk to us about that experience of um, going through that, but really the lessons that you learned of what you would do differently next time um, and pretend you're talking to me. I'm going to Cannes next year. I want to figure out how to make the most of it. Uh, I want to understand the distribution world as of right now. Um, so teach me a lesson. Probably um, order the rosé. <laughs> um, that's that's probably what we learned. Uh, not not the cab. Um, and don't eat meat. Yes, it's always really rare. Terrible there. Terrible. terrible. Hate the steaks there. And I did have rose, the rose, the cider, rose cider in Normandy too. That rose was amazing. It's amazing. Oh, so good. Um, So there, you know, it's funny. If you asked me this that same question a couple years ago, I I would kind of be like, well, you know, it's same old, same old. But there is a change, and and what is what has happened in the business is. Because of the lack of licensing at the streamers and the premium cable channels who are now merging with the streamers, um, when that business started to dry up somewhat, not, not that it's gone away completely, um, but it's you know not very lucrative these days, you're, you're forced to put your film up on the transactional sites and the AVOD sites sooner and quicker and uh, and really concentrate on building your business around those sites and not moving away from pitching your films to the streamers if you have the ability to do that. And a lot of distributors don't, but we do. Um, so you still pitch with the hopes that, you know, they're, they're going to want a couple, but you still have to really concentrate on what happens when your film becomes available for rent and becomes available for download for sale. And because of that, there are more genres and more um, countries that you can focus on. So the abundance of Italian films and and Bollywood films and um, films from Germany and France, you're you're getting a a bigger experience um, and more hopes of bringing in some revenue because platforms like Tubi and Pluto and now even Amazon and iTunes are accepting those films more than they were previously. 
So the breadth of product that you can bring in from these other countries um, has has risen. And that's what you're seeing a lot of at these markets, in, especially in Berlin or any of the markets that you go to, because there's companies from all over the country. So whereas maybe five or six years ago, I would be very, very hesitant to walk into a, a booth from Italy and say, hey, you know, show me your movies. Um, I'm more apt to do that these days. And that has brought a big change to how we work the markets. Um, whereas before way. we concentrated, we still concentrate on the American companies that are selling genre films and stuff like that. But we also try to sprinkle in some foreign language films as well, more foreign language films as we would have in the past. But who are those buyers? So, you know, I know that you, you know, the girl of war freedom, for example, is on Amazon and Apple TV and Google mm-hmm. play and YouTube and voodoo. Mm-hmm. So who are the buyers on those platforms that are watching those, you know, foreign movies? You mean who are the consumers? Yeah, that's what I meant. I, that's a very good question. If I had to answer to that question, I'd be Orson Welles. Well, so you're saying, yeah, (laughs) we don't, they don't give us that information anymore. But are you saying there are enough consumers in the United States that want foreign films that you're willing to go out there and find them? I'm saying that that audience is growing. It's it's not where I would like to see it be right now, but any improvement is better. I can't speak specifically to your film. I can only speak on a more general basis. Um, as 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 the as the business grows into what it's becoming, um, and, and and also by the way. Some of the streamers, Netflix in particular, um, in any of the trades that you read or any of the conversations you have with them, you know, their growth is not here in the United States anymore. Their, their subscriber growth is international. So being able to supply them with product from an, from an international basis makes sense. Now that has its own drawbacks and its own limitations because Netflix in a very smart move as they should, as they should do, they've hired people in every country to represent them. So you have someone in Germany looking at German films. So by the time those same films might play the market, they in all likelihood might've already been passed on by the Netflixes of the world. But I'm just saying that what, what we saw in this market more than, previous markets is um, more of an ability to meet with a lot of the foreign folks than we have before. Because those same foreign folks, by the way, aren't getting streaming deals either. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Well, how do you make these meetings? So once you, once you become, um, once you register, there is a your 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 and if you do it early enough, your name and all of your company's information is listed, and then you will start to get invitations from these companies to meet. At the same time, um, online will be a list of companies with contacts um, of people that are coming, and you can reach out to them and say, "I have a film." or I'm being represented by a film. Um, and, but it's, you know, 
it's a kind of a growth thing. You, you're not going to meet everybody the first year you go. I've been going for 20 years and I have a substantial, you know, laundry list of people that I see. Um, but there's always new folks coming on. So once you ingratiate yourself into that site, as soon as, uh, as soon as it's available and Berlin would be, well, really AFM would be the first if you want to go to AFM. Um, and you'll you'll have enough people that you can meet with. Hmm. All right. Well, so did you learn any particular interesting things this year other than, I mean, I know you're saying that it's kind of different. You're able to go in and pick up, you know, new genres of films from different countries. Um, what else? You know, it's nice. One of the things that, you know, when you are spending a lot of time with people that do exactly the same thing that you do. Um, Cause all of our competitors are our friends and you have those honest conversations with them that you discuss the trends in the business. You discuss what kind of genres are working, which kind of genres are not working. What should you stay away from? Um, and in particular, you hear, about the struggles that they are having with the same accounts that we are struggling with. Um, and this year more than ever, uh, because of everything that's going on in the industry, there was a lot of very tough conversations being had. Such as? Such as what the hell is going on and are we going to be here next year? Wow. I mean, we are, but... Uh, everybody isn't. Well, thirty percent so. of the buyers that I know have lost their jobs. Thirty percent. So, what is going to be the? You know, how are distributors going to hang on? How are they going to weather this storm? Because it's truthfully the same for filmmakers. I mean, we're we're in the same boat. You know, film distributors are declining. The platforms they can put stuff on is declining. Um, the budgets that, you know, I mean, you've said this before. In order for us to really make our money back on a dock, it really needs to be under 250000 that you're spending. So, but, you know, people are spending that money. Like, people are out there making movies all the time, not considering these current industry trends. I guess if they did consider it, nobody would be making movies at this point. You know, there are people out there making movies that that money is not an object. Um, we're not like that. I, I, I you know, I, I speak to filmmakers all the time, and I say, "Why did you spend two million dollars making this movie?" and and they answer, "That's what it cost." And uh, I am bewildered because I know that they're never going to make that money back. But I also believe that that is the film industry. And that has been the film industry since Charlie Chaplin days. And there are filmmakers that will overspend. And there are filmmakers that will come in under budget. And there are filmmakers that every time they go into production, they're very wary of every single penny they spend. Um, and there are some that aren't that wary. Um, but this market is what it is. and. You know, the movie business historically has been through times just as just as rough 
You know, when the theaters, when all the studios in the late 40s lost the ability to own their own theaters, because, you know, they all own their own theaters. That's why there's so many Fox theaters around the country. That's why, you know, there's so many Warner theaters throughout the country. Um, when the government said, uh, sorry, you, you can't own your own theaters anymore. And then right away, I mean, almost at the same time, television hit. It was disastrous. And that's why the studios tried all this new stuff like 3D and CinemaScope and VistaVision and all these things to help make the movie going experience better. And if it's really interesting because what are we seeing today? We're seeing IMAX. We're seeing super IMAX. We're seeing theaters where the seats move, you know, all, all trying to enrich the film-going experience. And what did Hollywood learn back in the 50s when they tried all this stuff? None of it worked. The only thing that worked was good movies. Yeah, that's true. So speaking of good movies, uh, we all know that a good movie, um, you know, is the, you know, the crux of the matter. It's what really makes people want to see it um, and that reputation. You talked earlier about genres that are in. Now, I feel like this is just from a consumer point of view, that true crime um, and horror are the two biggest genres that anybody seems to be talking about right now, whether it's in narrative or in podcasting or, you know, in documentary work. Um, am I off base with that? Or are there no, other things no. out there? True crime, you know, what? when you look at it from above, you got to be very careful because if you make a movie on what is hot today, um, it might not be hot a year and a half from now when your movie's done. But yeah. true crime, for some unknown reason that none of us really want to admit to, fascinates a lot of people. You know, Dateline and 2020 and these shows that have been on the air for 20 years, they're true crime. You know, they're, people like to see other people suffering. What can I say? Um, I'm not into it. Um, I kind of shy away from it. I don't need to see another serial killer uh, docu-series. Um, I'd rather see a series that maybe pays tribute to the people that they killed and talk about their lives that were taken as opposed to making these people household names. But that's a whole different podcast. But it, true crime is it. I mean, it still rules. Um, horror has always been, you know, has all has always been a mainstay. Um, the only problem that you got to be aware of is that there's a lot of horror movies being made right now, and uh, you know you can't you can't fit them all in. And there's a lot of really bad horror movies being made. Well, and uh, what I see people doing is they're really stretching that horror genre description because yes. I think people know that horror sells. And so they'll take a thriller or they'll take something that's not quite horror and stick the horror genre on it and put it into horror film festivals, I yeah. think, in order to yeah. get buyers. So, yeah, one of the other genres that people have been talking about, these are hard to make, um, especially on a, a small budget, are, you know, teen romantic dramas or comedies. Netflix has a slew of them. Um, family films right now, people that, you know, films that – the, and I'm talking narratives here, films that were labeled, you know, Hallmarkish. You know, people used to laugh at. Well, you know, you can take Hallmarkish to the bank every day. Hmm. People want to see those types of films. Um, 
faith-based films are hot. They've been hot. They will always be hot. Um, there's a certain segment of the United States that are going to watch anything that's faith-based. And it doesn't have to be what we like to call in the industry sledgehammer faith-based. What do you think and about he, Jesus Revolution? I saw Jesus Revolution in the theaters and loved it. Okay. Okay. I yeah, absolutely I think that's, loved it. That's the kind yeah. of thing that is, you know, sort of crossing that border between a Christian yeah. film and a faith-based film. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Um, and a true, and a, I like the true story aspect of it. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, they're hot. They're very, very, uh, very, very popular. Even I would put the faith-based product up next to horror. Really? Wow. Look at you. Again, you look at Jesus revolution. It made much more, a lot more money than most of the horror films being released and a smaller segment of the population. That's true. Wait to see it. Well, that is an interesting point of view, Joe. That is really yeah, good but, to know. But 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 wait a minute. There's one word that I have not used. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Documentaries. <laughs> hey, I have spent my entire career releasing documentaries. Now, again, we'll, we've released a horror film every once in a while, but I can't I can't sit here and say thank God we did because we'd be out of business if we didn't. Because the docs are would keep us going. They will continue to be, and they will always be, let's make no note about it, let's make no joke about it, they will always be one of the hardest genres to sell. I don't understand that, though. Maybe it's because I'm obsessed with them, but I mean, my timeline is filled with really interesting documentaries, whether it's on Netflix or Amazon yeah. or, yeah. I mean, from Three Mile Island to the Ted Bundy, I have to admit it, I do like these crude yeah. things. I don't know yeah. why. But anyway, my music documentaries and even World War II documentaries or war documentaries, I just love them. And everybody that I talk to loves them. I just don't understand why they can't make money. You know, I, I've analyzed it forever and until I've given up. Um, I, I truly believe that it has to do with the average American consumer is so overwhelmed with news this these days. And I'm not talking about all the bad news, but there's so many different opportunities. There's four or five channels that are nothing but news. There are other channels that aren't news all day, but most of the day. Um, and they are overwhelmed by it. And they don't want to look at anything that has to do with true life. And they want to escape. And that's the last thing most documentaries um, or escape to something nice. Um, and that's the last thing, you know, most documentaries are not happy ending stories. Well, um, some of them are interesting. Like they're all perfect, interesting. Like uh, three yeah. perfect strangers or, you know, they're or the, music. yeah. But so here's my question. You know, there are a lot of documentaries that are interesting, you know, and they are not depressing like that. However, on the selling scale or at the film markets or at film festivals, it's always the ones that are uncovering some deeply disturbing thing, you know, in America, like, I don't know what, uh, you know, which, no, I, which is important. I, They're important subject matters to cover, but those seem to be the only ones that people care about. Well, they're the only ones that the film festival buyers care about. Yeah. Let's be clear. They're the ones that are choosing these films. And I have nothing against anybody who buys films for a film festival. Um, but that's what they're buying. Now, you get Sundance that gets 10,000 movies to show. And, uh, you know, that's 
the crop that they come up with. Um, you know, the harder the story is, um, the better as far as they're concerned. And that also has turned people off when it comes to documentaries because they just don't want to deal with it anymore. That's true. You know, there are some, you know, it's it's like any it's like television in general or the film industry in general. You know, when you look at the success of Jesus Revolution, and I don't want to continue to point to Jesus Revolution as a Christian or anything like that, it's just a good movie. Um, we need more of them. Yeah. Disney, well, and even, you know, we used to have Disney once a year, once every two years, but you can't even count on them anymore. That's Because true. Disney is Marvel. That's true. You know, yeah. so I, every, Joe, I love you to death, but every time I talk to you, I don't know. <laughs> you get depressed. It's painful. <laughs> it's painful. You know, it, here's the thing. You know, and I, I listen, I go through it, too. I look at the numbers and um, sometimes, you know, they're they're very upsetting and sometimes they're not as upsetting. But you really have to go back. I always go back to why I'm doing this in the first place. Yeah. And yeah. Um, me personally, uh, yeah, I would definitely love to, you know, have a million dollars um, in the bank that I can freely spend or $10 million or any of that. But that's not, that's not why I did this. I, listen, I have a very, I have a great wife. I have great kids. Um, you, you do this because you love it. Yeah. And that's the only reason you do it. Well, I'll add one more. I do it because I can't not do it. Yeah. I I just love storytelling so much. I, it was so rewarding telling a film, knowing that it touched people's lives. Um, yeah. I want to continue to do that in the filmmaking process for me. It brought communities of people together that didn't know each other. Um, it It just changed people. And to know that I have the ability to do that, that is what makes me feel so fulfilled professionally. And I love movies. I can't get enough of watching them, particularly documentaries. Um, and the fact that I have the ability to make some good stories, I just can't not do it. So, so think about this. You have these, and again, I, I don't want to disparage filmmakers, but you have, everybody makes a choice on the movie or a television series they're going to make. So you have the filmmaker that goes and makes a doc series on Ted Bundy, okay? The 15th doc series on Ted Bundy this year. And it focuses on all the quirks and the, you know, all the facets of Ted Bundy. And you release it. And, you know, a gazillion people watch it on Netflix. And then you have family members of the victims coming out and saying, why are you doing this? And every time a Ted Bundy film hits the airways, my family goes bananas and goes into a deep depression. So why would you do that? Okay. Then you got a filmmaker who tomorrow is getting on a plane with veterans from World War II and going to Normandy. You tell me the difference. I know. You tell me the difference in this world. 
And that's the power of really good documentaries. Okay. I mean, really I, think about it. Now you made me feel like totally It, it opposite. makes total sense. <laughs> I, I know. I mean, this ha wouldn't happen. This It's a Delta charter taking 50 World War II veterans back to Normandy. It was inspired by my film. I know. My I know. Little so cool. film that hasn't made any money that I'm still in debt with, yeah. you know? But I'm so damn proud of, I would never take it back. And even if I didn't make any money, it, it changed my life and it changed the lives of so many people. So I mean, and, I, and, and so would you trade that for the no. Ted Bundy story? No. No, no. So I guess the hope, if we boil it down here, is that we really love what we are doing, you know? And at the end of the day, Joe, like you've said before, you went into where you are now because you care about filmmakers. You've made films. You know what it's like to be a filmmaker. You know what it's like never to have anybody call you back. You know what it's like not to have any people, you know, watch your film or give a, nobody, you know what it's like, you know, and I can speak from personal experience already having gone through that, you know, you've made a difference in my life. And so I do think it's, we all desire that as humans to be able to make a difference in someone's life and, you know, kind of turn things around and feel like our life has meaning and value. After I am gone and I am no longer here, this film will still be here. And I think yeah. it will still be relevant and it'll be relevant for my children. My second son who went into the army said he did it because of this film. So film has the power to change people's lives and create a greater good in society. And I think that is what's frustrating for me is that the money is not in that. You know, no. but there's nothing we can do about that. We either choose what we want to add to the marketplace, right? Or just, I don't know, add crap to make money. And if I had to make that different choice, and I'm glad you're reminding me of it, yeah. I really want to make that choice to make a difference and add something positive to the world. Yep. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. You know, every once in a while you strike gold, um, you know, but. You know, it's been a long time since supersizing. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we've we've we, we've struck, but maybe we haven't struck the gold of a film like that that actually changed things and made a hell of a lot of money. So, but we're getting there, and yeah. we'll do it again. You well, know, so you just got to keep on trying. Me, for one, I thank you for caring about my film, but more importantly, caring about me, giving up your time, answering my text messages, responding to my emails. Those are the little kindnesses in a world, I think, that distribute, you know, that distinguish good distributors from, from ones that care about themselves and the almighty dollar. And I thank you for your truth, your truth that you've experienced that you know is painful. It's painful right now. but. Yeah truthfully without it i think by you telling it it helps us make wiser choices as filmmakers um mm -hmm. and at the end of the day that's why i started this podcast i want people to you know sidestep the potholes that i stepped in and you know learn so that they can make better films and add them you know to the world as well so great hopefully well, we did that today. yeah thanks so much it. for being here all right, Jason, you didn't say a word this time. I'm sorry. I just wanted to listen. There was just so much wisdom and knowledge in there that I just ah, I just wanted to soak it up. Well, thanks. Well, I appreciate it. Why don't you take us out? Yeah. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell, and you can be the one to tell it.
Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. Thank you. The Documentary First Podcast is a production of Documentary First Productions. Help us create more educational and inspiring filmmaking content and share more stories of service by supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash documentary first. Also, be sure to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can discover our awesome entertainment industry content as well as our moving historical stories and possibly learn some new things along the way. Bye, everybody.